Amen. All right, all right. Back to your seats. Come on, people. You guys love each other too much. Amen. Well, let me ask you this. Does it not feel good to go to a church you actually like with people you actually love? Come on. Amen. Amen. All right. It's good to be here. Well, as we get to the Word of God this morning, remain standing with me, please. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 8. As we continue part three of our series, Entangled, next week we close this series up. But this week we're going to go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 8. And the Word of God says, After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the town of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And John's disciples were leaving. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Notice this. Verse 9. Then what did you go out to see? Well, I'll stick to verse 8. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. No, not at all. Let's pray. Father, I just want to ask you this morning. In fact, before we even ask you of anything, Lord, we just want to thank you. That we can come to church and we can learn your word and worship and gather with our family here, our brothers and sisters in the faith, Lord. And Father, as we open up this message, I humbly ask that you would use me today that we would leave and this not just be another Sunday or another message, but Father, that this would be revelation. We're nothing without you, Lord. So open up our hearts to understand, our minds and our ears to hear, and bless us with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You guys can have a seat. As we start part three of our series, Entangled, I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of being entangled with doubt. Being entangled with doubt. A lot of people think that being a Christian means that you always have strong faith, that you're always happy, that everything's always great with you, and doubt is something that a believer should never even have. But how many of you be honest enough to say, Pastor, I love Jesus, I'm saved, I'm serving God the best to my own ability, but I'm in a season of doubt. One hand, two hands, three hands, the rest are all liars, come on. We all go through seasons of doubt. In fact, in verse 2 and 3 of the passage we just read, one of the most Confusing questions I've ever read in the Bible was actually that from John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we be expecting someone else? In verse 3. Are you the one? Or should we be expecting someone else? See, John the Baptist began to doubt. And if John the Baptist is living in a season of doubt, what does that mean for us? See, doubt is something that is so common in so many believers, but yet doubt is something that we feel bad sometimes that we even have. Doubt is something that we won't even tell someone we're, we're going through. Because you're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to be strong in the faith. You're, you're supposed to love Jesus. So how can you, being a believer, even doubt? Well, John did. John asked Jesus, are you the one? Or should we even expect someone else? And though doubt may be something common to people, Doubt is something that can be very damaging to the life of any believer. So would you allow me this morning to teach you on the subject of doubt and how to overcome it and get untangled from it? Amen. Amen. Last summer, a friend of mine called me and said, it was a Friday night. I remember this day perfectly because it was a horrible day. But it was a Friday night. This friend of mine calls me. He's my fishing buddy. And he says, hey, why don't I, I need to get out of the house. He has three kids. He's going crazy. He says, I need to get out of the house. And my wife gave me the okay. Let's go. And he said, I, I just want to go out fishing. Let's take the boat out. The problem is, here's the first problem. The weather was bad. I knew it had been raining. Rain was on the forecast. I knew the wind was going to pick up. And... He, I told him, no, I don't think it's a good idea to go out fishing right now because, listen, the weather's bad, the wind's supposed to pick up, the waves are supposed to pick up, and there's, there's a small craft advisory, so we shouldn't even be out. But he convinced me because he said, no, no, we're not going to go out to open ocean. Let's just stay in the inlet. Let's stay in the bay, and the water will be a lot more calm there. So that was the first problem. I went out when I shouldn't have. Here's the second problem. That summer, my gas gauge was broken, so I was just winging it. And, and I was doing the math. Okay, this is a 70-gallon tank. I put in 15, 21, 50 gallons, and I went this far. And how many of you know your pastor's not good at math? But see, in my mind, I thought that I had enough gas, so I said, you know what, I'm not even going to bother filling up. So I actually took the boat out, and everything was fine until, guess what happened? I ran out of gas. Guess what happened after that? The rain fell. Guess what happened after that? The wind picked up. And guess what happened after the wind picked up? The waves picked up. And I was calm. No, I'm serious. I was calm. My friend, though, he's not the calm type. He, he has a little stutter when he's afraid. So he's like, D -d 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 David, what, 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 what are you going to do? And, and my mom knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> he has a stutter. And he's worried. But your pastor, Captain Pastor, was like, don't worry about it. Why? 
Well, I have sea toe, they tow you anywhere around the water. And I had an anchor. And I knew that because I was in the bay, you know, it was about 25 feet, it wasn't that deep, and, and I, I had an anchor, so I said, you know, this isn't a problem. So I, I got the anchor, and, and I threw it out into the water, and I saw the anchor sinking, and you know, there was a sense of confidence in me. The storm was going off. The rain was falling. People, the waves were big. But you should have seen how cool I looked. I was just throwing the anchor and I was just confident on my cell phone about to call the tow and everything was fine. I was actually about to continue to fish. That's how not afraid I was. And then my friend tells me this. David, David, David. David, the, the b- b- boat, the, b- um, the, the boat's still d- drifting. <laughs> what? What, 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 what do you mean? Bro, we were, bro, we were over here. And, and, bro, now we're over here. I'm like, bro, 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 bro what? And the anchor wasn't working. And we were in the inlet, which meant I was literally drifting to a seawall filled with jagged rocks by Mercy Hospital, if you want to know exactly where. And all of a sudden, your cool, collected pastor had a stutter problem. And I was worried. And I, and I was actually really worried. Because I knew that in a matter of moments, I was going to go into these jagged rocks. The boat was going to go under. We had just caught a pretty big shark in that water. So imagine my mindset. Oh my goodness, we're going to drown. We're going to be out in the water floating. And there's, and I just, what if the shark takes vengeance? What if he comes back? I know this isn't safe. It was about two o'clock in the morning. It was crazy. It got darker. The waves picked up and I was drifting and drifting and drifting more into the seawall. And I was terrified at that moment and I began to pray and I really prayed this is an honest to God story I prayed and I said Lord give me wisdom I need wisdom I didn't ask to be rescued I didn't ask for the storm to come I said Lord give me wisdom and at that moment something came to my mind check the anchor And as I pulled the anchor back out, I quickly noticed that the problem was not actually the anchor. The problem was that I did not notice that as I threw the anchor out into the water, some of the rope was actually tangled. Now pay attention, because when that rope was tangled, even though the anchor was in the water, because it was tangled, there was not enough rope to actually hit the ground, therefore the anchor was not working. Because the problem was not the anchor, the problem was the entanglement I failed to see, and I failed to check, and I failed to correct. And this is how a lot of us are with God. Can I preach this morning? 
Because I believe a lot of us say, well, God's not working. Things aren't working out. God must be broken. God doesn't answer my prayers. God is not doing anything. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And that's what happens to us. Because even though the anchor that was designed to keep us secure and firm, it wasn't working because the entanglement prevented it from getting deeper. You see, I see a lot of Christians living like this. There are too many people who say, I have Jesus in my life. I have God in my life and, and I'm, I'm firm and, and, and I'm secure because I know I'm a believer. I know God works all things. I have the anchor. I have the Lord. And that's great. But see, my question is that even though we have God in our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, why is it that so many believers are not living so secure anymore? Why is it that so many believers are not firm in their faith? Why is it that so many of us are living life with this amazing God, but yet we live with hopelessness? We live with fear? And here's the, the most ironic part of that night. The anchor was in the water, so it looked like I was secured. It looked like I was firm. But the truth is, I was in trouble. The truth is, I was drifting. And I wonder how many of you came to this church, and it's all an appearance. It's all a persona. You look like you're strong in the Lord. You look like you have faith. You look like you're confident. You look like you're standing firm. But underneath the surface, you know that you're so entangled with doubt. So entangled with doubt because even though you look secured and you came to church like this or, and you're worshiping, you're saying, yeah, I have faith, I'm strong, I have the Lord in my life. But I wonder if underneath the surface the truth would reveal that you're entangled with a lot of doubt. You come to this church and you say, yeah, I, I, I have to look happy. I have to look strong. I have to look secured. But if you would look underneath the surface in my heart, I'm entangled with doubt. And, and pastor, it has me, it has me sad. There's a lot of Christians that aren't firm and secure. They're living with sadness. They're living with fear. They're living with discouragement. You know you're living with doubt because some of you, you, you stopped praying for things you were once believing for. Can I get a witness to that? You, you stopped praying for that thing a long time ago. Well, because it hasn't happened yet. 
Didn't work out the way I thought. So, so why even bother God with that dream anymore? Why even bother asking God anymore? So I'm just entangled with doubt. Why bother? It's not going to happen. I doubt it. So now you look firm. You look secured in the Lord. But deep down inside, you stop praying because you stop asking, because you stop believing, because you stop and started doubting. There's a part of you that doesn't even believe in miracles anymore. There's a part of us that have settled. We've settled for a life of nothingness, a life of just just going through the motions. I'm not expecting God to do wonders. I'm not expecting God to do the impossible. I'm not expecting God to really do miracles. I'm not really expecting God to manifest His His divine presence in my life. I'm just going to just stay here in my little boat and and drift away and and wait until I I just see the Lord in heaven. But meanwhile on earth, I'm not going to live so hopeful. I'm going to live in fear. I'm going to live discouraged. I'm going to live and I'm going to stop asking God and I'm not going to believe anymore. See, a lot of us are living the opposite of how a believer is supposed to live. Believers aren't supposed to live a life insecure. Believers aren't supposed to live with a faith that's not firm. See, that anchor is designed to keep me secured. It's designed to keep me firm in spite of any storm that I go through. You see, I want to ask you this question. How are believers supposed to act in this world? Well, let me explain to you how. Hebrews 6, 19 tells us. It says, we have this hope. Everyone say it with me. We have this hope. As a what? As an anchor. For our soul. Firm. And secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. You see, the writer of Hebrews was saying that Jesus Christ is our anchor. It keeps us firm. It keeps us secured. But notice the evidence of a true believer that is firm and secure, living like they know the anchor is working. It's hope. Hope is the expectation of something better. Hope is the expectation that something good's going to happen. Hope is that security. Hope is that confidence that God is going to do something. God is up to something. God's not done yet. God's going to move. This isn't the end. I'm not going to stay here. Hope is the expectation that we serve a God that says, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care about the storms in life. I don't care what the news says. I don't care what's happening in Russia. I don't care what's happening with inflation. I don't care what's happening with the economy. I have an anchor that keeps me so secure and so firm that no matter what I go through, my hope never fades. That's how an opposite, how opposite we have to live from the world. We have to live with this enthusiasm that God is still in control. 
We have to live with this excitement that says God is still able. For some of you, you, you have this anchor. You have God in your life and you look secure. You look firm. But I want to break you this morning because you came to church like this. And I can tell you, man, God has a plan for your life. I doubt it. You don't know what I went through. You don't know who hurt me. You, you don't know what I'm facing. Pastor, you don't know how hard it is. And you live with doubt. See, when you live with God as your anchor, you have this hope, this expectation that naturally affects you and you live with a constant state of joy. Is your joy gone? See, I I threw that anchor the first time and I lived with confidence. I had no fear. In fact, I had a little joy because I said to myself, well, this means we can fish more. I had joy. See, because I had such faith in the anchor that no matter what rain came, wind or waves, I had joy. See, I wonder today if you have the joy of your salvation, if you have the joy of the Lord that's your strength, that tells me no matter what I'm going through, I have an anchor named Jesus that keeps me firm and secured. If you've lost your joy, if you've lost your joy, It's because you're living with doubt. If you've lost your peace, it's because you're living with doubt. If you've lost your gladness, some of you forgot to smile, and when you do, it's ugly because it's been so long. You're like, like like this? And I'm like, put the mask back on. You've lost your faith. You've lost your confidence. You no longer live with this sense of security and and firm. You just simply want to look like you do. Am I preaching this morning? It's just a look. I thought I was secure, but the truth revealed. I was tangled. Doubt is powerful. Not only does it rob you of hope and joy and peace, Job, you know, hope affects your joy in the way that it lifts it up. But doubt, doubt gets into your mind and into your emotions, and it wreaks havoc on your faith. And you stand as a Christian between hope and doubt. See, doubt affects your mind. And it's something that the devil uses to defeat you like you wouldn't believe. Doubt is so, so powerful that it can keep you from living God's best for your life. It can actually keep you from receiving God's best for your life. Doubt is serious. So we got to learn about it this morning. The first question ever asked in the Bible, 
There's a lot of question marks in the Bible. The first question that was ever asked in Scripture was asked by the devil. Did God really say not to eat of that fruit? And doubt came into the mind of Eve. The devil was after Adam and Eve. And he said, I'm going to use doubt. First thing I'm going to do, the first weapon of choice the devil used. We, we all think it was temptation. It wasn't. It was doubt. The devil didn't say, hey, that looks good, huh? Oh, look at that fruit. Look, no. The first thing the devil did was cast out. And maybe that's why you're not living the best life God has created you to live. Because you've allowed the devil himself to cast doubt into your spirit. Maybe that's why you don't have that sense of faith and security and firmness in the Lord anymore. Because there's a part of you that, that wants to believe, but you say, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. And when doubt gets into your mind, it makes you a very unstable person. Don't take it from me. Look at the Bible. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. You know, I want to pause there because we have the wrong view of God. God literally says, would you come to me and just ask? Would you come to me and ask for wisdom? Would you come to me and ask? Would you, do you imagine God, the creator of the heavens and earth and the universe and everything in existence, tells you, come to me and ask? And I'm not the type of God that says, no, I saw what you did yesterday, so I'm not going to tell you how to do things. I'm not going to give you wisdom. Bibles, the Bible says he gives so generously. He's not looking for fault. And it will be given to him. Notice verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not what? Not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man, the one that was asking God, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Do you want that type of life that the Lord says, I can't give to you? I can't work in your life? Because you come to me one minute and you ask in faith, but the minute you look at logic and circumstances, doubt settles in and you begin to waver. That man should not even think of receiving anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. Unstable and all he does. See, doubt affects your mind. It makes you a double-minded person. What is a double-minded person? I believe the majority of believers today 
are double-minded. And here's how it happens. And I'm going to ask you in a minute if this is you. One minute. See, as I threw that anchor, there was one side that was fine. The other side was tangled. And this is what it looks like to be double-minded. One minute you're praying and you're saying, Lord, I believe you can heal. Lord, I believe you can do this. You can change this. Lord, I want to thank you and glorify you. One second, you're in church and worshiping. You believe that God can do the impossible. Frankie sings your song. You know your song. And all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with faith and you begin to pray and believe and you're asking God for it and you're asking and asking and Lord, I'm asking you to do this miracle. I'm asking you to do this. And the minute you ask, you begin to look at the circumstances and the logic around it and what people tell you or what people are going through and all of a sudden your firm, straight faith turns into an entanglement of doubt. So one minute you're saying, Lord, um, God, please, I'm asking. Lord, I'm, I'm asking you that you would reveal yourself to my lost family members. Lord, would you please save their souls? Lord, please save my grandmother, save my brother, my uncle, save my cousin. Lord, please save my unsaved family. But, but I doubt he can because they've been, I've been inviting them to church for years. I, I, I doubt they'll even come to church because I, I don't think they'll even like it. And, and it's been too long, and, and I really think that they want nothing to do with God. Well, I, you know what? I'm not even going to ask anymore. You're double-minded. You're saying, God, I, I'm just asking, Lord. Lord, I'm asking that you would, you would bring me a good wife or bring me a good husband. Lord, I, I believe that you have that person for me. Lord, I believe, like Sharon says, my Boaz. You know, I believe it. I believe it, Lord. Lord, I believe it. And then there's a part of you that says, nah, but there's nothing good out there. I hate Miami. I'm tired of swiping. I'm tired of being set up and I'm already in my 30s. I'm approaching 40. That, that's it. it, it I, why bother? And God says, what happened to this person that believed? See, God says you're double-minded, unstable. That, that word unstable in the Greek literally means to be inconsistent. You're up and down with your prayers. You're up and down with your faith. You're up and down asking God, but then logic comes in and then you get entangled with doubt. You're saying, God, I'm believing for a child. I'm believing that you're going to bless us with a family. I believe, Lord. And all of a sudden you're saying, well, I, I've been, not been able to get pregnant for so long and the medication's not working. I've gone to so many doctors and I don't even know if it's even possible anymore. And God said, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What happened to this person? You're not consistent. But God, I'm, I'm just asking that you would heal. God, I believe, you know, the doctors say one thing, but I believe that you are a great physician. You can heal, Father. And I know it, but I doubt it. Because it runs in my family, and I haven't gotten better. And, and God says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why aren't you consistent? You get it, church? Double-minded people are miserable. Unstable. Unstable. 
and consistent with their prayer. Double-minded person is going to walk out of this church filled with faith. Come tomorrow, Monday, you'll be back here again. God says, I want you to believe and ask me. Ask me. And I'll give generously. But when you ask, don't you doubt and expect me to give you what you're doubting I can do. When I read that verse and I said, ask him, ask him for wisdom, ask God, I, I wonder, man, when was the last time I really, really asked God? When was the last time I said to myself, when was the last time I was really firm and consistent and believing for the impossible and asking God, but what happened to that David? What what happened to the David that says Fuller Fellowship would be the best church ever? <laughs> uh, but then, be honest, let me be honest, uh, but I, I doubt it. 12 years, hasn't really grown much. Miami, no one wants anything to do with God. And God says, David, keep asking. Get back on that anchor. God doesn't want this. Ask. Oh, but it's, it's too much for God. But it's too difficult for God. But it's too impossible. For God, here's my favorite, it's too dumb. For God. God knows how dumb we are. And still says, I want to work in your life. That's why God says to have childlike faith. Why? He doesn't say, I want you to have faith of a theologian. He says, I want you to have faith like a child. Because children possess this amazing ability. And it's found in Ephesians 3.20. To him who is able, that's God. Would you say that with me, he's able? Would you just hit, your, hit him today? He's able. Stop doubting. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask. You know that you have a problem with asking and God says, I could even do more than you're asking? More than you can imagine? According to his power that is at work within us. Children possess this amazing... You know, children apply this verse every day of their life. How many of you have kids? Have they not asked you for the dumbest things? Have they believed the dumbest things? I don't want to insult your kids. But some of them think they can be astronauts. Maybe they can. But kids could believe anything. I believe. My dad told me there was a dinosaur in the moon that was going to eat us all up. That's why I should stay in the house at night. 
That's why I didn't leave the house till I was 25. I always looked at that moon and I go, oh man. I believed whatever my father told me. I would ask them for anything. I would ask them the wildest questions because a child possesses the ability to imagine without logic or impossibility. They don't think of reasoning. They don't think of, of impossibility. They don't think of logic. So they just believe and ask. Let me give you some examples through some of these kids that I found. Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed. Right in church. Is that okay? Look at this next one. Dear God, did you mean for a giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? <laughs> look at this next one. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all, all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family and I can never do it. That's a dark child, man, let me tell you. God, I'm angry at you. I'm angry at you, and I'm not talking to you today and tomorrow. P.S. All day. P.S.S. I still love you. <laughs> Dear God, please change the taste of asparagus. It's gross. Thanks. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but I, what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> Is there any more? That's it? All right. That's childlike faith. You think God got mad at any of those questions? God may not change the taste of the asparagus, but he listened. God says, I want childlike faith because children don't think logic and reason and impossible and reality. They imagine and believe. They don't let what they think or what they, they know or logic or reality to stop them from just asking and believing. God says, I want that. But some of you don't have that childlike faith because you lean on what the world says, what reality says. And maybe because of your doubt, you cannot receive from God. Doubt can settle in anyone. Let me be straight with you. we got to stop thinking that because you're a Christian living with doubt, there's something evil about you. It's very common for believers to go through a season of doubt. Some of those seasons are long. Abraham, the man of faith, the father of faith, thought God took too long in delivering his promise of a baby. He doubted that it was going to happen, so he slept with his servant. Yes, the father of faith did that and doubted. The disciples, the followers of Jesus that believed in him and walked with him and gave up everything for him, resurrected, showed up, and even Thomas said, I doubt it. So much that they nicknamed him Doubting Thomas. Peter was walking on water, full of faith, saw the wind and, and saw the waves, began to sink, cried out. Jesus saved them. And the one thing Jesus asked them, you of little faith, why did you doubt? All believers, all great men of God, 
all filled with faith, walking with God. But a circumstance happened, something went down, and they went through a moment or a season of doubt. And if you are living as a believer with doubt today, God is not mad at you. God is not done with you. God just wants to check you. He wants to put you back where you belong. And that is in the anchor of faith to be firm and secure in spite of anything I see or go through. It doesn't make you less of a Christian or less saved. It just reminds us that we're human and we're weak and we need the Lord. And one of the greatest doubters in the Bible was John the Baptist. He was so Christian, he was Baptist, people. (laughs) He was so devoted to God. He was so passionate. He was a preacher. Devoted to preaching the word of God in the desert, pointing the way to Jesus, telling people about the Lord, telling people about repentance. He believed that the Messiah would come. And when Jesus came, he said, here he is. He was filled with so much faith and hope and enthusiasm. And then he was in prison for a year. When I read this, I said, wait a minute, God, wait. This is unfair. This is confusing. Why would you allow John to go thrown into prison? He loves you. He preaches for you. He serves you. And he's about to get killed and beheaded in prison? And in verse 2 and 3, John is in this prison. And when he heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are are you the one who's to come? Or should we expect someone else? John was mad. And John began to doubt. But let me teach you something about this passage. John had what's called a believer's doubt. Learn this. A believer's doubt is not when you doubt the deity of God. It's not when you doubt the existence of God. John in no way or form was he turning agnostic or atheist. He knew that Jesus was God. He knew that Jesus was the Savior. He knew. But see, the doubt that John had was not that whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. What doubt, the doubt that John was experiencing was the way Jesus was doing things. Therefore, he wasn't doubting his existence or deity. He was doubting his method. Let me ask you a question to bring this home. Do you ever You believe Jesus, amen? You believe He's the Son of God, He died for your sins, He resurrected. You believe He's the only way to the Father. You believe He's the one, the only one that will never be another one. Say amen. Now let me ask you this, church. Have you ever questioned His methods? 
you have believers doubt. You see, Christians feel bad for doubting because they think it means you don't believe in Jesus anymore. That's not true. But it means that sometimes you go through such a dark period in your life, you really begin to doubt His method. The way that He's really doing things. You begin to doubt and say, man, is He really going to work all things together for good right now? Is my sorrow really going to turn to joy? Am I really going to be blessed out of this? That's what John had. He was questioning the method of God. And I wonder how many of us have believers doubt today. You've come to this church and you believe in Jesus. You're born again. You're saved. I will see you in heaven, brother and sister. But listen, you're doubting the method of God. It shouldn't be this way, Lord. Why did you do this? Why did you not do this? Why did you allow this? God, this makes no sense. See, John was angry at Jesus because he thought Jesus was doing something off. I shouldn't be in this prison. I shouldn't be in this circumstance. And he began to question the method, not the Savior. What's the cure for doubt? There's two cures. One, Ecclesiastes 7.13, one verse. Accept the way God does things. For who can straighten what He has made crooked? Here's the first cure for doubt. Accept the way He's done things. But it's not fair. Oh, I know. But it's so hard. I know. It's so painful. But Lord, I'll accept it. Because I know you're for me and not against me. Did God take away someone too soon from you? Accept the way he does things. Has God not answered a prayer you thought he'd answered by now? Accept the way he does things. Have your dreams fallen apart? Accept the way he done things. What you thought would work out didn't work out. Accept the way he does things. No matter how difficult. But why is it so difficult for us to accept the way God does things? It's because in our humanistic logic, we think we know better. It shouldn't be this way. That's what happened to John. See, when you read the story of John in prison, I understand 100% why he was doubting the method of God. Why it was hard for him to accept the way the Lord was doing things. You want to know some reasons why John doubted? It might be some of the reasons you're doubting today. One, it was failed expectations. John thought that Jesus would come as a judge. 
that he would come and judge the Roman government. He saw Jesus as a political leader that was going to free the Israelites, that was going to free the nation of Israel, and they were going to be free and stop being oppressed. He thought that's what Jesus was going to do. So one of the reasons John began to doubt is because of failed expectations. And maybe that's why you're doubting today, because some of the expectations you thought that God would do, he hasn't done yet. And you came to God with these high hopes of expectations, but the opposite has happened. That's why so many people doubt, because expectations have failed. Proverbs 14, 12. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. If John would have gone in his way, And Jesus would have come as a political figure, a leader to overthrow the Roman government and set the captive free, but not from sin, but from physical oppression. We would all be damned to hell. There would be no cross, no crucifixion, no salvation for us. So whose way was better, John's or Jesus? That's why when your expectations have failed, it's because God knows more than we know and he's looking out for your good. So thank God when, the, when, the, when it falls apart, when it didn't work out, when it didn't happen, oh, I thought they were the one. Thank God there weren't. He saved you. He knows better. I believe John doubted because he was going through a bad situation, yet he was a godly man. And we always ask this dumb question, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't think we should ever ask that question because the Bible says no one is good, not even one. But here's what John teaches us, bad things do happen to godly people. This is something we all fall into. We, we think that if I'm good, God's going to be good to me. And if I, if I go to church and read my Bible and I pray and I serve, then God has to come through. God has to protect me. God has to bless me. This is the garbage that's being taught in church today. But the Bible I read and the God that I know says I allow bad things to happen to godly people. But in our mindset, that makes no sense. And why we live in doubt is because so much bad is happening to you, but you say to God, I don't deserve this. I doubt that that you even know how faithful I am to you, Lord. I go to church and I pray and I serve in the ministry. I, I, I work in the children's ministry. Those are demons there. And yet, my car breaks down. My washer stops working. I get sick. I, I don't get the loan. I, you think you tell me that I do all of this and yet I go to prison? See, John tells us expectations will fail. That's why we doubt. Bad things happens to godly people. That's why we doubt. But here, let me get real. Can we be honest in the house of God today? You know when it really gets doubtful, at least for me? Let's stop pretending. It's when good things happen to ungodly people. 
Ooh. Oh, I hear, I hear a mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Does that not cause you to live with the greatest doubt in the method of the Lord? She doesn't go to church like you two, but yet she's engaged. I try to live right and pure, and this little hussy is out there, and look at her, and she's the one that gets the job and the promotion, and I'm here suffering. You mean to tell me that when I logged on to Facebook and I saw how blessed and happy they were and yet they were on the beach. I know they went to the beach on Sunday and I was in church. And I served God. God, why do you bless them and not me? God, why do you give to them and not me? You see, when John was in that prison, the man, Herod, who put him there was throwing a birthday party. And from the deep, dark dungeon of that prison and the echoing walls, he heard, doom, 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 party! And there was Herod, laughing it up, having fun. And there was John in prison. Does it ever feel like that? I'm living right. I'm serving God and the ungodly are parting. They're the ones that cheated and walked out, yet they have a new family. They're the ones that hurt me, yet you, you bless them. That's when doubt settles. That's when doubt begins to truly come in. Failed expectation. Bad things happen to godly people. Good things happen to ungodly people. And I'll close with the last one. You guys okay? <laughs> Heading home. Verse 2. Verse 2 is a big one. I want to read it again. I didn't tell Barbie verse 2, but let's go to verse 2, Barbie. Verse 2. This is where I believe it got crazy for John. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to doubt and question are you the one? Can I tell you when we doubt the most? Why? I think this was John's breaking point. I believe John's breaking point was not the failed expectation, was not because he was a godly man suffering bad things or seeing good things happen to an ungodly man. John's breaking point is in verse 2, when he heard in prison what Christ was doing. What was Christ doing? Christ was healing the sick, raising the dead, doing miracles, helping people, delivering people, and yet he was in prison. Here's when we doubt the most. 
He heard that Jesus was working miracles. He heard that Jesus was strong and able. He heard that he was delivering and setting the captive free. He heard that Jesus was doing the impossible. See, here's when doubt really settles in. When what you hear about God is not what you're experiencing yourself. See, I preach here every Sunday for the past 12 years. And if you've been a part of this church, you've heard how amazing God is. You've heard his power to provide. You've heard his miracle working abilities. He was hearing everything God, Jesus was doing. But he wasn't seeing it for himself. And there's a difference when you hear of the goodness of God versus when you see it. And it's a lot of doubt is cast into people when they hear of the goodness of God, but they don't see that for themselves. When you hear that God saves the lost, but he hasn't saved the lost in your life. When you hear that God's a healer, but he hasn't healed you. When you hear that he's a provider and he's providing miracles for people, but you have not seen that for your own life. Is this making sense today? That's when doubt begins to come in. It's one thing to hear what God is doing. But when you don't see it for yourself, the doubt comes in. You begin to say, Lord, do you even care about me? Lord, do you even concern yourself with what I'm going through? Lord, do you even hear my prayers? Do you even know my dreams? Do you even know? I doubt it. If this is you this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I'm I'm struggling with believers' doubt. And I come to church and and, and I look straight, I look firm, I look secure, but underneath the surface, I'm entangled with doubt. Because I hear you, Pastor. I hear that the Lord is good all the time. I hear that He's a deliverer. I hear that He saves. I hear He provides. But I'm in this prison, you see, and I don't see it for myself. That's why John said... Go out there and ask Jesus, is he the one? Because if he is, why am I still in this prison? And in verse 16, before we read verse 16, I want to tell you the end of this story. I wish I could tell you And there was a massive earthquake and the prison cell broke open like he did for Peter. But that didn't happen. I wish he can tell you and God struck Herod and everyone died and John walked out of prison. But that didn't happen. wish I can tell you and God came through like John expected him to. No, John lost his head. John never got out of that prison. John never never survived it. 
And you're probably thinking, well, you just killed this message. But listen, John died. But the last thing John heard before he died was a message that Jesus sent to his disciples. To what can I compare this generation? See, I want you to understand something. At this point, can I just tell you the story? I don't want to read it for the sake of time. You can put that verse away. When John died, the last message he heard from Jesus, Jesus sent his disciples back to that prison and said, Hey, John, don't doubt. The lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead rise. Jesus is doing miracles. And you wonder, man, shouldn't Jesus have told him, don't doubt, have faith, believe, something good's going to happen. I promise you, if you just believe, I'm going to show you that I'm him. Jesus didn't have to prove himself because God has not had to prove himself to anyone. The only thing he told John was, the death here, the dead are risen. The blind can see. The lame are walking. I said, why would Jesus tell him that? Because Jesus was quoting Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. The prophecy that was written about the one that was to come. God the Messiah. They will notice then their eyes. The eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer. And the mute tongue shouts for joy. Water will come forth in the wilderness like streams of deserts. See, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would bring healing. And when Jesus told him the healing is happening, he was quoting Isaiah, telling John, I am the one. I am God. You want to know the cure for doubt? Accept the way he does things and know that he is God and you are not. John dies. It looks like John lost. Herod won. Can I tell you that John did something that everyone should thrive to do? John died serving Jesus. And I pray that no matter how hard life gets, what prison you get out of or don't get out of, that in the end of your last breath, you can honestly look back in your life and say, Lord, I'm still serving you. Not too many people can say that today. Let's all stand to our feet as we're entangled with doubt. With every head bowed and every eye closed today. We're talking about believer's doubt. I'm not saying you're doubting the existence of God, that you've lost your faith, that you're about to walk out on the Lord. I don't believe that right now. I know you love the Lord. You're here, and I see it. 
But I wonder how many of you have come to this church this morning with believing doubt. That you're doubting the method of the Lord. And you've come to this church on one side, double-minded, on one side believing in God, but on the other side, your doubt just robs that faith. And some of you, you stop praying, believing, and asking. You've allowed the logic and realities of life to stop you from imagining and asking the Lord for the impossible. And doubt plagues your mind and it robs you of your joy and you are now living insecure. You're no longer firming your faith because you're up and down with your asking and your faith. And one minute you're happy, the next you're sad. One minute you're faithful, the next you're walking away from God. You're not firm in the Lord and you're saying, Pastor, I'm struggling with doubt. If this describes you, would you put that hand up today? Say, Pastor, I'm doubting. God bless you all around the room today. I want to pray for you this morning. For anyone like John that feels like they're in this dark place and you're not questioning the deity of God, but you're questioning his method and you think God has been unfair to you and you think that God has just done things wrong and right now for anyone like John, that sees the ungodly being blessed, the ungodly living a better life than you. And you're thinking, Lord, I don't understand this and I doubt you even care because why would you allow this to happen? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you open up our faith again, our imagination again, our asking again. Father, I believe many of us here are struggling with believing doubt. We are grateful for your salvation. We are grateful that you died on the cross for our sins. We are grateful, Lord. But underneath the surface, we understand you are the anchor of our faith and our hope. But underneath the surface, Lord, we are drifting with insecurity. We are entangled with doubt. And every time we want to believe, there's a small, still voice that tells us, but I doubt it. Father, help us to accept the way you do things. And if this is your prayer today, would you pray this with me from your heart? You either pray one of two. You say, Lord, I accept the way you do things. Or Lord, help me to accept the way you're doing Come on, pray that from your heart. You say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, you are God. And I am not. Whether I stay in this prison or not, I will serve you like John to the end. Cast all doubt in them, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Give God some praise today.